So our reading is from Zechariah chapter 9, Zion's coming king. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Judah is my bow and Israel is my arrow. Jerusalem is my sword and like a warrior I will brandish it against the Greeks. The Lord will appear above his people. His arrows will fly like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the ram's horn and attack like a whirlwind from the southern desert. The Lord of heaven's armies will protect his people and they will defeat their enemies by hurling great stones. They will shout in battle as though drunk with wine. They will be filled with blood like a bowl, drenched with blood like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will rescue his people just as a shepherd rescues his sheep. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in the crown. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. The young men will thrive on abundant grain and the young women will flourish on new wine. Thanks be to God. Now this morning is our second last looking at the major themes in the minor prophets and God willing we'll be looking at the book of Malachi uh, next Sunday. Now, when we began this series, we noticed that the minor prophets were roughly in chronological order and also roughly in size order too. And so the the first minor prophets that we looked at uh, concerned Israel going into exile uh, as a judgment for their unfaithfulness to God. But we saw last week with the book of Haggai that Haggai was concerned with the return of the exiles back to Jerusalem, and it's the same this week with the book of Zechariah, because Zechariah prophesied at the same time as Haggai did, as can be seen by them both being named in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 5. Now, as we come to this book today, I want to show you this picture that's also on your, your handout today. And it's this. Now, when you see that, there are some people that think that that is a picture of delight. Some people just love the thrill of a roller coaster. They love the ups and downs and the the turns and the twists. We went on a few roller coasters when we were on, on holiday, and the boys love them. But one of their favorite things on these roller coasters is hearing their dad scream as he goes around them, because their dad hates going on a roller coaster. So for some of us, that is a picture of delight. For some of us, that is a picture of torture, uh, a picture of a, a roller coaster. Now, in our video today, the book of Zechariah was described as a wild ride. I don't think I've ever heard a book of the Bible being described in such terms before, a wild ride. 
But if you're familiar with the book, or even just from the summary video that we watched, we, we will understand why. It's a, it's a book to, to go back with your Bible and read it this afternoon, because it is a wild ride. Because this book is full of visions, of myrtle trees, of flying scrolls, of two women flying in a basket and more. And these visions are really difficult for us to to understand what is going on here. It's quite a tricky and a difficult uh, book. Now, the first eight chapters are fairly easy to date, similar to to Haggai last week. Remember, we looked at Haggai, and we saw that it began, and it was the 29th of August, 520 B.C. It was that precise. Now, chapters 1 to 8 in in Zechariah are fairly similar. These happen at 520 to 518 uh, B.C., But the last chapters, from chapter 9 onwards, are more difficult to date. And so, in 520 BC, as we saw last week, Haggai and Zechariah are encouraging the rebuilding of the temple, something that the people of Israel obediently do, and they complete this in 516 BC. But a remnant being back in Jerusalem doesn't mean that things are back to the good old days, whatever they might be. Because the temple, though rebuilt, was certainly not what it was before. It was a lot smaller. It wasn't as glorious as it was back in Solomon's day. And crucially, there was no king at this time. Remember, Israel had had leaders who were called judges, and then they demanded, God, give us a king. And so God gave them a king, firstly King Saul and then King David. And King David is kind of the height of the nation of Israel. He is the the best king. That was the glory days that they look back on. But now they're back in Jerusalem, and yes, they've rebuilt the temple, but there is no king. There's no one from David's line to reign. And Judah at this time is too weak to sustain a king. Instead, they are ruled by Persia. Now, why am I saying this? Because in chapter 9, that Don read for us, it speaks of a king. And because this is such a, a difficult book this morning, I thought we would focus on a verse that I understand a little bit, and is perhaps the easiest verse in the whole of the book, and it's certainly the most famous. It's a verse that you will know. It's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And you'll realize why you recognize that verse. Because Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 is quoted by all four Gospels when Jesus rides into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. You see, in Zechariah's time, yes, there's been restoration to the land. But the reality is that God's chosen people sinned and were unfaithful to God from the kings all the way down, with a few exceptions. There has been this constant downward spiral. That's why the people were sent into exile in the first place. But now, a remnant's back. They're back in the land. They've rebuilt the temple. And the question is, are the glory days coming back? The days of King David, are are they going to return or are they not? 
Now, the history of God's people shows this constant cycle of disobedience. And even though the people have been restored to the land once more, it won't be long until they fall into idolatry and sin again. And so the question is, well, how can this cycle be broken? Because if you know your Old Testament, you know that often there was a good king, like King David, and then it goes into Solomon and things begin to, to go down, and then there's a load of bad kings, and then there's a good king again, and they're restored again, and then it's bad, 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 oh, good again, and then bad, bad, bad. It's up and down and up and down and up and down until the people are exiled, and now they're back. Is this cycle ever going to end? How can this cycle be broken? Well, Zechariah chapter 9 tells us of the coming of a king. A king who is righteous. A king who is victorious. And yet who is humble and riding on a donkey. We see that this king will bring peace in verse 10. And that his realm will stretch far. It will stretch, of course, in the promised land, but it will stretch much further. It will stretch to the ends of the earth, fulfilling the promise made to Abraham to bless the nations. Now, you have to remember here that with their present situation, with a remnant back in the land, with this small temple that's been rebuilt, this king coming seems unlikely. Because the nation is weak. And yet God is promising that this king will come. That this king will will rescue his people. Just as a shepherd rescues his sheep. And so the picture is of hope, of restoration, of peace, of rescue, of of a kingdom which stretches to the ends of the earth. And the sign is this king riding on a donkey. Now, for those living in the land at this time, it must have been hard to comprehend. They would, of course, been asking the question, when is this king coming? Because this is a message of hope. Now, we know that this is written 520 B.C., that those later chapters probably go into the, the 400s B.C., Now, we know it didn't happen then, don't we? But God promises that it will happen, that He will send this king, and He will break this cycle. And of course, we know that Jesus came. And we can see that the promises made here in Zechariah are fulfilled in Jesus. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, He didn't ride on a fine stallion. He didn't walk even. What did he do? He rode a donkey. Why? Because he's saying, I am the king, prophesied long ago in the book of Zechariah. And the people there at that time, they recognized it. What did they do? They put their cloaks on the ground. They cut off branches from the trees. And they shouted, Hosanna. Here comes the king. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognized what Jesus was doing. They recognized something in Jesus. Of course, if we know the story of Jesus, 
we know that though he was welcomed in triumph on Palm Sunday, that very soon the, the crowds, probably some of the same people, they turn against him. And they shout, crucify him. Less than a week later, how fickle the crowds are and how fickle human nature is. And in many ways, what happens in Holy Week is like a condensed version of the, the history of Israel. Faith followed by faithfulness. Obedience followed by disobedience. But what I want you to see today is that it's through Jesus that the cycle, this downward spiral, is finally broken. Because the temple is replaced. Who's it replaced by? Or what's it replaced by? It's replaced by Jesus. Jesus becomes the temple. The sacrificial system. The constant sacrifices that needed to be made to atone for sin. Jesus makes the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Instead of there being a priestly system, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. And of course, he's not just a king. He's the king of kings. He's the one who reigns on David's throne and does so forever. You see, whilst the people were unable to live up to God's perfect standards, Jesus could. Whilst the people fell constantly back into sin, Jesus was the sinless Savior. Jesus is the means by which God rescues his people. Jesus is the means by which God shows his love and grace. He's righteous and victorious and riding on a donkey. And so what I want you to see is in the midst of this wild ride of a book, there in chapter 9, what do you see? You see a picture of Jesus. Zechariah pointing towards Jesus. Now, you might be thinking about all this this morning and thinking, well, that's a, that's a lovely history lesson. Lovely history lesson this morning. It's lovely to see how this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. And you might go, go home thinking, that was wonderful. But if that's our only reaction this morning, then we're completely missing the point. You see, the reality is that the struggles of the people of Israel the chosen people of God, constantly faced in being faithful to God, is the same for us today. They faced that constant issue, didn't they, of trying to be faithful to God and yet falling into sin. You see, we are in so many ways more advanced than the people back in 520 BC. Technologically, scientifically, medically. We are far more advanced, aren't we? The world is so different. And yet, I would say to you this morning that one thing remains the same, and that's the condition of the human heart. Because if we know ourselves, we know that there is blackness and darkness in our hearts. We know that often we think ill of others, that we say things that, that we later regret, that we make poor choices when it comes to our actions. And sometimes we might try harder to be a better person. But it only lasts a while. Because the reality is that we sin, don't we? 
Now, it's not the fact that we sin that makes us sinners. It's the fact that we are sinners that we sin. That's a reality. We can't avoid it. And so even in 2023, we have this problem of sin, the guilt that we cannot live up to God's standards. And there's no technological advance or any other advance that can solve the conundrum of sin. So what can we do? Do we just throw up our hands in despair and say, oh, that's just the way we are? Or do we realize something this morning? Do we realize that this king, mentioned in Zechariah chapter 9, is also the king that we need? And in the same way that he breaks the cycle of sin for the people of Israel, they can also break the cycle of sin for us. You see, the reality is that only God can rescue his people. And the wonderful thing this morning is that we know that God has sent a rescuer. He has sent Jesus. He has sent Jesus, who's the one who can pay for our sin. Jesus, the one who brings us into a relationship with God. Before, our sin blocked that relationship with God. But Jesus takes that sin away, and the way is now open, that we can come to God for ourselves. All we have to do is repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus. So this morning, Look afresh at this prophecy in Zechariah. Look afresh at this king riding on a donkey. Realize that this king is the king that you need. The only king that can give you hope. Because as we see in verse 17 in chapter 9, he is the king that can help us thrive and who can help us flourish. Do you not want to thrive in your life? Do you not want to flourish in your life? But believe in Jesus, and you will. And when we look at this prophecy today, we realize that to the people that Zechariah was speaking to, that the coming of Jesus was a future event. It's 500 years in the future. However, for us, the coming of Jesus is a past event, isn't it? It is, isn't it? I know my Bible. There you go, 2,000 years ago. That's what happened. But when we traditionally think about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, what else do we also think about? We also think of a promise that's still future to us. You see, there will be a day when Jesus will return again. And this time, he won't be riding on a donkey, but he will come in triumph. He will come in glory, and every eye will see him. You see, what I want you to realize this morning is that the king spoken of in Zechariah is not a dead king, but a king that is alive. Jesus, the one who is risen from the dead and who will reign forever. And in the same way that the people of Zechariah's day looked forward to the coming of a king, we too look forward to the coming of a king. A king who will bring righteousness to bear. 
who will bring justice to a world in which there is injustice. A king who will bring those who trust in him to be home with him forever. Are you ready for that day? Are you looking forward to that day? Many were not ready to receive Jesus the first time. What about you when he comes again the second time? I don't know about you. I look forward to that day when there is the coming of the King, when he makes everything right and he brings us home to be with him forever. So let's meditate in God's word today. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus has come? That he is the solution for the sin in your life, for the sin in the world? And he is going to come again in glory. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Loving Lord God, the book of Zechariah is a wild ride. There is so much happening here, so much that perhaps we find confusing and we don't particularly understand. But Heavenly Father, we thank you that this verse, Zechariah 9 verse 9, is a verse that's quoted in the Gospels, all four of them. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And we recognize, Lord God, that Jesus is the promised king, that Jesus is the one who breaks the cycle. He's the one who breaks the cycle of disobedience and sin. And he doesn't just do that for the people of Judah, the people of Israel, that he's also able to do that for us. Because as we come to you this morning, Lord God, we know, each one of us, that there is sin within We know that there is guilt that we cannot get rid of in our own strength, that we need someone to rescue us, that we need the Good Shepherd, that we need this King. Lord God, we thank you that Jesus laid down his life on the cross at Calvary's Hill to pay the price for our sin, that when you look on us, Lord God, We are covered by the righteousness of Christ. That we look completely sinless in your sight. And that we can come before you with confidence, without fear, because of what Jesus has done. But Father, as we think about Jesus coming that first time, yes, in the future for the people in Zechariah's day, but a time in the past for us who live post-resurrection, We thank you also that we can think of the promises of Jesus, that he will return again, because he is a king who is not dead, but who is alive, that he is the king who will reign on David's throne forever and ever. Father, we look forward to that day when Jesus will come again and when he will make everything right that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more crying, no more mourning, 
No more tears. No more pain. Father, we thank you for your great promises. Help us to hold firm to them this day. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.